monster for you today. The weekend was all about the Open Championship, and Brian Harmon got it done. And Graham McDowell, former U.S. Open champ and great golfer, Ryder Cupper, is going to join us. The story coming up over the next month on Netflix or whatever you watch is not going to be Barbie. It is not going to be Oppenheimer. It is going to be called Swamp Kings. And it is going to document from night, or excuse me, 2006 to 2009, the Florida Gators of Tim Tebow, the Pouncey brothers, Percy Harvin et al., Aaron Hernandez, Urban Meyer was the coach, and Urban is going to join us coming up at 10 o'clock. Hey, the U.S. Women's National Team. Look, I got to tell you, fans are crushing them. Fans are destroying them. They didn't sing the anthem. They didn't sing. Ladies and gentlemen, you're supposed to sing. I guess I got to tell you, when I grew up, it was kind of in the 70s, and I'd go to basketball games, and you know what? Some African-American dudes and some white dudes weren't standing. And I always thought that to be odd. I was a kid, and then we went through it all, and everybody stood, and everybody put their hands on their heart. I missed the memo on that because I used to just stand there, and then everybody not only has to put their hands on their heart, but they also got to sing. I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy that gets all mad about putting your hand over your heart and having to sing. I'm not saying you shouldn't. Of course, maybe you should. I do it now, but I missed the memo on all this. I did. I'm going to defend these women. These women are an annoyance. I'm tired of them. They make my ass sag, but I got to tell you, I'm going to hang in there with them. I am because frankly, I must have missed a memo on everything that we're supposed to do. I know we're supposed to stand, all right? And I know we're supposed to now put our hands over our hearts, and now we're supposed to belt it out. Man, what's next? I I, I don't have an answer for anybody. I honestly don't, but I'm sitting here going, wait a second. Uh, Okay, did somebody send me the memo? Tell me what else I'm supposed to do, equity Americans are being trained to hate their country. These angry women are representing a country they despise at the World Cup. Our schools are failing. I totally agree with that. Like, I don't disagree with that. I think these women do hate our country. I think these women are an annoyance. I don't care whether they win or lose. I don't really root against the United States anytime, anywhere. But also, it doesn't mean I got to root for them. It doesn't mean that I got to sit here and go, yay, rah. I actually don't care. Maybe we're supposed to care. Like, I don't know the name of this woman, and I don't want to know the name of this woman. Back in the day, Alex Gordon was hot, uh, and that's about all I remember. Megan Rapinoe was a pain in the ass. I liked the Mia Hamm, uh, Brandy Chastain era, and that's not because they were quiet. It's because they were good, and they represented us. These women don't represent us. These women represent the hateful far left that hates the United States, that wants to change the way of life. And we'll have some comments on that from other people. But I'm just, you know what? These spoiled-ass athletes need to be reminded they don't play for the name on the back of their jersey. They play for the name on the front of it. And if they hate our country so much, go play somewhere else. You won't be missed. Well, that's true. You won't be missed. Nobody's going to miss this team. But I don't know. You can tell me I'm wrong. I guess maybe I'm not the American that you all thought I was. But somewhere, somehow, I missed the memo. I know we're supposed to stand, and I'm cool with that. I like singing, even though I'm a horrible singer. So yesterday, I was at Catholic Church over here at St. Simon's, and I went and I sung. Guy looked at me. After church, he goes, I didn't know you sang. I go, yeah, I've always sang. Ever since I was a little kid, I like singing in church. They say to sing is to pray twice. 
but I didn't know you're supposed to belt it out. I, didn't, I know you're supposed to do this, but send me the damn memo. Send me the memo. Now, this woman is hateful. This woman is horrendous. This woman is ridiculous. In fact, this woman got unloaded on by former Levi's executive and United States gold medal gymnast Jennifer Say. Jennifer Say, in talking about Megan Rapino. Says Megan Rapino is denying reality. Remember this clown here, Rapino, and her little girlfriend, and they're a power couple. You're a power lesbian couple. That means you're the most powerful of us all. I got two words for you. <laughs> That's the two words I got for you. Power lesbian this. Anyway, long story short, Megan Rapino, of course, at the end of her career, her career, where she doesn't have to keep compete against biological males is now saying, yeah, I think transgender athletes should compete against women. Yeah, because my sorry ass is done. I get to go back to Stuppen or whatever you do as a power lesbian couple with the sex. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what you do. I know some things you do, but I don't know all the things that you do. So the power lesbian couple has to go back and do their Stuppen, right? But the power lesbian couple doesn't have to play anymore. So, of course, the power lesbian couple says, hey, We're all in on transgender girls playing against uh, girls. Transgender boys playing against girls. Why don't they go play against boys, Megan Rapinoe? I know the answer to that. They wouldn't be successful. But Jennifer Say is saying this. Now, you got to understand, Jennifer is a woman that opposed school lockdowns as the executive CEO of Levi. And Jennifer, of course, got fired because we were all supposed to stand in line a couple years ago with everything everybody told us, and Jennifer Say didn't, so she got fired. I'd like to get Jennifer on someday. She has a book out called Levi's Unbuttoned. But anyway, Jennifer says this. I guess I would ask her why in 17 when the best women's soccer team in the world lost to a 15-year-old high school boys team. How? Why was that? How did that happen? An average high school boys team, they lost. The best women's soccer team in the world. I could put it in of course here. Of course there is an advantage. This is not trans bigotry. This is about girls and women. Duh. (laughs) Right? I mean, duh. But this, whatever she is, Megan Rapinoe, of course, has to have an opinion, and we're all supposed to respect it because she's in the power lesbian couple. I mean, if you ever watch Sex in the City, they talk about it. There was no more powerful couple in the city of New York than the power lesbian couple. The power lesbian has stature. Hey, I don't give a damn who you're stupid. I don't give a damn if you're stupid. Uh, I don't know. Men, women, farm animals, transgender, transvestite, transphobic. I don't care who you're stupid, but I don't want to hear some stupidity when... Women can't beat the 200, the best women tennis player of all time can't beat the 203rd ranked player of all time in the men's division. Serena Williams. I mean, stop it, stupid. Just stop it. I don't want to hear it. So anyway, good for Jennifer Say. Jennifer Say literally opposed. Opposed schools uh, shutting down and got fired from Levi. Jeez, what what world are we living in? I tell you, a world that's pretty good right now, Brian Harmon. You see Brian Harmon yesterday, the diminutive lefty. I just like saying diminutive. He's about five foot seven, they say. He's left-handed. He hits the ball great. Not like the pro big guys do, though. He's like 114th 
in driving distance. And this is an era where you got to pound it, apparently. But he only hit two bunkers all weekend. One of them was on 18. He got up and down. The game was over. Long story short, Brian Harmon wins the Open. But this is what I liked about Brian Harmon. Brian Harmon, for whatever the reason, had the Englishman of Liverpool, home of the Bears, on his backside. They were crushing his soul. They were trying to get him out of the way so John Rawl could get in there. John Rawl made a little bit of a move, got within three, but never got closer than that. And Brian Harmon, well, here's what Brian Harmon had to say what motivated him yesterday. I made the second bogey yesterday, a guy, when I was passing him, he said, Harmon, you don't have the stones for this. That helped. That was the, that was the motivation? Yeah, that helped a lot. I he was a, uh, anyway, that, that helped. I mean, it, it just helped snap me back in like, you know, that I, I'm good enough to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go through my process and the next shot's going to be good. Yeah, good for Brian Harmon. I'm going to ask Graham McDowell. Graham McDowell famously uh, played on Ryder Cups and he didn't care where. He said, I'm on the fence. Am I English? Am I Irish? It doesn't matter. I'm on the fence. And Graham McDowell won the U.S. Open. Graham McDowell's going to join me at 9.30. And I want to ask him. Like, I think it's fascinating because we all think that the golf crowd, right, is this nice crowd. We fist pump like Tiger. We, we root for Phil. You know, whatever. It's supposed to be this wine and cheese crowd. But it's turning into something else. And I'm here for it. If you've ever been to that hole, I think it's the 16th hole at the Waste Management. I have, and it's awesome. And now other crowds have gotten like that, but the English are supposed to be so proper, so pure when it comes to the game of golf. Of course, that's where golf was invented, they tell us. Scotland and England and all those guys over there invented the damn game, but apparently they were a little snarky to Brian Harmon. So what Brian Harmon do? Well, he just kept hitting shot after shot after shot, kept his composure, never wilted down the stretch. You know, did that thing where he had a sleep with a five-shot lead before the third round, a six-shot lead, before the fourth round. He just kept battling. He's a tough dude. You know, he reminds me of when he has his hat on. He reminds me of Mark Wahlberg. Got a little Mark Wahlberg in him, but he's got to keep his hat on for it. Other than that, when he takes his hat off, he reminds me of old Ed. used to work down at the steel mill. But good for him, and we're going to talk about the Open Championship and the rudeness of crowds and does it matter. Like, everybody was giving it one of these to Tiger Woods right back in the day because of his talent and you didn't want to be seen as a racist and all that kind of stuff. But the fact of the matter is a guy like Brian Harmon's easy to criticize and he overcame it. Hey, the running backs, the running backs had a Zoom call yesterday. Austin Eckler running back in the Chargers set up a Zoom and they want to know this market, what's going on with this market? We're not happy. Things aren't going our way. We must Zoom. All right, good. So a bunch of running backs got on a Zoom call. A bunch of running backs decided, we're going to talk about this. Our market is getting crushed. Here are the names of those that attended. Pretty good names, right? I mean, if Derrick Henry and Christian McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley are on the list, and that's a good name. I'll tell you one guy that wasn't, and I'm sad about this, Naheem Hines, the, the former Colt, excuse me, was just announced that Naheem Hines uh, is out for the season. I'm sad about that. But you see, here we go. It's a pretty good list. It's a list of really good players. But I got to tell you, somebody snitched. Somebody snitched. They did. Somebody snitched. Somebody came out and said, whoa, 
Hold on. Uh, the issue, listen to this, at Saturday night's running back Zoom call, the issue of holding in by exaggerating. Holding in means we are in, we're going to get paid, but we are going to listen to this. Exaggerate or fabricate injury. Much of the focus went to agents, even though agents were excluded from the call. There was concern raised, according to Florio, about some agents creating false expectations for other running backs by dumping phony salaries into the back end of contracts. Yeah, this is an issue that is going away. You know, a lot of people say, Marlon Humphreys, by the way, wanted to know who snitched. (laughs) This is an issue that is absolutely going away. This issue is going away because, frankly, nobody cares about it. We all understand, here's the deal, market value. You get what the market says you're worth. We heard it all the time with college athletes. You get what the market says you're worth. Okay, well, the market right now is saying that running backs are worth about 10 million really good ones. Otherwise, we can do without a really good one, win games, and have a great year. Now, at the end of the day, we'll see what happens, but I don't, I, this is something that's going away. Saquon Barkley turned down 12 or 14 million, and now he's acting like a victim. I don't think we really care, do we? I don't think we really and truly give a rat's about the running back market. I don't think we do. You may. I don't know. Do you? Look, you get what the market says. If the market said that I could get a million, then I'd go get a million. Marlon Humphreys, dang, who was on the Zoom call snitching? You know this. You know that there is absolutely nothing that can be said with any professional athlete, professional agent in the realm of this that isn't going to be, oh, I don't know, Snitched on, leaked, whatever the right word is, they're going to do it, and they're going to do it every time. So now whenever we see a running back go down, what are we going to do? We're going to go, ah, oh, hell, he's faking. He's faking. Oh, crap, I forgot about Levitard. I'm sorry, fellas. Dan Levitard trying really hard. Dan Levitard is coming at Woj. You don't come at Woj. You don't come at Woj or else you get fired. Jeff Goodman learned that the hard way. Jeff Goodman, the idiot that is now somewhere, I don't know, was the worst human being on television. He literally knew nothing. I did a game with him, sidelines, uh, Butler against Ohio State, and he was so bad that I had to make fun of him on air. I felt bad about making fun of him on air. I did. I felt bad. So I saw him in the Nike store, and I'm like, hey, man, I got to apologize. I was too rough on you on the air. He got sad. He did what every media guy does and he whined. Well, here's the deal. Goodman challenged Woj, and Goodman got fired. Goodman wanted to be Woj, so he would make cracks and do all this stupid Jeff Goodman stuff. Hot take guy, dumb comments, idiotic texts, and ESPN said, look, if you give us us, if you're going to give us a choice between Goodman and Woj, we're taking Woj every time, and Goodman is somewhere doing something, complaining about something. But anyway, so Levitard doesn't have that same deal. Levitard, who is, among, among others, like a crazy, stupid, ridiculous, whining fan of the Miami Heat. That's what Miami Heat media do. They defend their own. And Woj, of course, is a guy that, you know, is a crazy far-left maniac who told a sitting senator to F off because he didn't like his politics. And, of course, Woj got away with it. Woj is just a crazy, left-leading, ridiculous human being. And that's what Levitard is. 
But the truth of the matter is, Levitard is going back at him, questioning the reporting, saying he is a shill. Good for Levitard. Levitard sits there with his dad and a bunch of little cronies and, of course, Bomani Jones and whatever far-left crazy people. And he's got a nice podcast, but he was so goddamn awful on radio, it crushed all of us, and we had to overcome it. Woj is a far-left maniac. Woj is a self-important, grew up as a dork, went to St. Body, and now he's an important guy, and he doesn't know how to act, but that's beside the point. Woj's reporting has always been somewhat decent, seems like to me. Uh, The father of Colts player Rodney Thomas, who, by the way, went to Yale, decided it was going to be a good idea to kill a bald eagle. Now, I got to ask you a question. I've had bald eagles out here. I've had eight of them on the ice. I have the picture somewhere. I tried to get it, but I couldn't find it. But I took a picture. There were eight bald eagles. And when you see a bald eagle, there's kind of a reverence for bald eagles. It's kind of like, oh, wow, this is pretty cool. I'm seeing something that I don't normally see. Lee and I saw one flying the other day, and it's very easy to tell the difference between a bald eagle and a hawk, or anything else that you want. I mean, it's a bald freaking eagle. I mean, are you crazy? But Rodney Thomas's dad decided, well, you know what? I'm going to kill this bald eagle because I am a stone idiot. Because I'm just a dumbass. Because I'm another in a long line of dumbasses. That father or play in the NFL, it's just what I do. I mean, I'm sorry. So now, see, the bald eagle in question here is a bald eagle that had been around this particular neighborhood for like 20 years. Everybody got to know it. It was a beloved bald eagle outside of Pittsburgh. So Rodney Thomas's dad decided, a 50-year-old idiot, gets, I'm going to read this right, indicted by a federal grand jury violation of the Bald Eagle and Golden Eagle Protection Act. He surrendered himself after blasting the bird with an air rifle. Authorities waited more than two months before releasing his name because these people were pissed in Mount Pleasant, uh, Pennsylvania. It was one of two that nested for nearly two decades in the area. They named the bird Sam after the character in Disney's Muppet movie. Honest to God. Now, I don't know whether or not you know, this guy's going to jail, but he does face a $10,000 bail, $5,000 in fine, and a few years behind bars. Yeah, he's an idiot. Latest in the line of NFL daddies, uh, professional athletes' daddies that are just stone idiots. Now, he raised a great son. The kid's an NFL player. He went to Yale. I mean, what the hell? But if you're dumb enough, if you're stupid enough to kill a bald eagle then maybe you should pay a fine for just living. Maybe you should go to jail for a little bit for just living, for just being, you know, I I invoke the too stupid to live clause. I invoke the too stupid to be among people clause. There should be that clause. Wait, hold on. Uh, I'm sorry, but he's going to have to go to jail for about, I don't know, 30 days because he's too stupid to be among us. That's Rodney Thomas's dad. I'm sure his peeps are telling him, man, the man is screwing you. No, you're an idiot. And the people are pissed. And the people should be pissed. Speaking of the Colts, veteran Colts writer and pain in the ass to human beings, 
Bob Kravitz is complaining about the athletic. Kravitz got his ass fired. I worked with Kravitz. And Kravitz famously put out a tweet talking to my, quote, behavior at Emmis when, we, when uh, I would get in trouble. I've never gone into the behavior of Kravitz, both uh, with people that work there, ladies that work there. I've never gone into it. But I got to tell you, if he pushes me too far, I am. I've just had enough. But this clown, every time he gets fired, has to make sure that everybody knows it's the other group's fault. Emma's fired him because he was a boring-ass announcer. Apparently, WTHR, he had an afternoon show. WTHR hired him, and he left there, and he made sure we all knew it was for no other reason than cut. So now Kravitz is getting fired again, and he's mad at the athletic. They didn't care about me. Really? Oh, I'll be damned. They didn't? Well, that's too bad. No kidding, huh? Okay. Well, I feel bad about that. Why are they supposed to care about you? They hired you to do a job. Now, you got to understand, you got to take every single thing that Kravitz says with a grain of salt because he's always trying to protect who? Kravitz. They don't give a F about me as a human being. You're 63 years old. You're just learning that people don't give a F about you as a human being? You're just learning that people have an expectation that you are supposed to put you on a subscription quota. All right, you had quadruple bypass surgery. All right. During the pandemic, no less. I guess my numbers weren't what they wanted to be, but hell, I was recovering from a life-changing medical event. I guarantee you there's more of the story. You would think that might have some impact on their thinking, but no. I had to produce 395 subscription in three months or else. That's absurd, unfair, outrageous, given my health situation. Sure you did. He said he said he got 400 subscriptions. There ain't 400 people that watch this. I love it. I love it. I had four editors in four years, all of them wanting something different. Hey, Kravitz, I didn't hear anybody writing about me when I had drug-infested fools in Indiana and straightened them out. Life's tough, son. See, this is the deal with the media. This is the deal in particular with print media. It's always someone else's fault. A year ago, my boy Greg Doyle wrote a scathing article on me. He crushed my soul, he thinks, because I dare criticize him. I'm telling you, the white middle-aged print writer is the worst human being alive. Nonviolent crime division, non-criminal division. Let me make those things clear. Don't you dare criticize him. Don't you dare. Yeah, okay. All right. Really? Okay. (laughs) They wanted me to work really hard. Oh, all right. Okay. Well, I I feel bad about that, Bob. Gee, they want me to work real hard. I check the numbers on this show every day, and I've had COVID twice, and I just go to work. Now, quadruple bypass, I guarantee, well, don't sign up and work with them. Pretty simple. You had a pretty nice job at the Indy Star. Don't take a chance. They didn't like me. They didn't treat me like a human being. Yeah, well, welcome to the real world. That's how you have been treating coaches and players forever. Uh, Aaron Rodgers says it is being, he is being rejuvenated. It's kind of interesting. I heard the word rejuvenated yesterday with Aaron Rodgers, and I turned on, ironically enough, 
Curb Your Enthusiasm last season, and one of the episodes was all about vaginal rejuvenation surgery. I'm hearing rejuvenated out the yang here. I am. I'm hearing all kind of rejuvenations. <laughs> I don't think that's the rejuvenation that Aaron Rodgers is talking about. And by the way, the little kid on the right, numero dos, what's he going to do? Is he making Aaron Rodgers' life miserable? Apparently not, because Aaron Rodgers being rejuvenated says, hey, hey, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to play longer than one year. Let's have a hear from the great Aaron Rodgers. Have a hear? We got a video on Rodgers or no? Did I mess that up? Yeah, what are you going to do? But he is rejuvenated. I got an ear thing here. Uh, all right, Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson says this. He said, everything's on the table. Everything's on the table with the commanders. All right, Magic Johnson is like this much of an owner. Like, I'm part owner of the Innsbruck Country Club up in northwest Indiana. I gave a lot of money for me to be an owner, and I probably own three bricks in the entire place. But for me, it was a lot of money. Magic Johnson is this much of an owner. But that's all right. Magic Johnson smiles. Magic Johnson's a minority. So Magic Johnson is going to get in front of the cameras and good for the ownership group headed up by Josh Harris, the owner of the Devil Ray, or Devils and the owner of the 76ers. Good for Magic Johnson. You got to put Magic out in front. It answers all the questions. All the boxes get checked. All right. Well, they're saying that everything is on the table. And I got to tell you, I, for one, am not mad about it. I want everything on the table. I want them to change the name back. I'll give you a hundred bucks. If you go to, I don't know, the Redskins again, I'll give you a hundred. Would anybody else throw in a hundred? I'd give a hundred. I think a hundred would be pretty good. I think a hundred would be nice. Give a hundred or two. Let's go back to the Redskins. Hail to the Redskins, hail to you, hey, you know what I'm saying, let's go do that, but good for Magic Johnson, Magic Johnson is out in front, I told you this before, Magic Johnson is the perfect guy, it's, next is going to be LeBron James, although, you know, Magic Johnson is the perfect guy to put in your ownership group, he'll, he'll do a great, great, great job in front of the camera, he's smart, He'll grin blank you if he needs to. He is perfect in front of the camera. All right, last thing. Formula One threatens to block Las Vegas club's views of the Las Vegas Formula One race unless they pay millions in fees. That's right. Now, I got it. This is interesting to me because a long time ago, Wrigley Field, the apartments across the way, the guy would go on the roof. This is in the 80s, 70s. Guys would go on the roof about the sixth inning, start grilling out. And it was very comfortable. It was very colloquial. It was very in <clears throat> intimate. And then all of a sudden, Wrigley Field decided, whoa. The ownership of the Cubs thought, wait a second. We can make a lot of money. We're going to buy those apartment buildings. We're going to set up bleachers on top. We're going to sell those tickets. The revenue is going to come to us instead of just some dudes paying a little extra rent because they got a great spot watching, watching the Cubs. There's a famous video of Tom Browning in his uniform, leaving the game, going up and hanging out with the people up top. It's famous. It's still shown a lot. Well, that was before bleachers went in. So good for Formula One. 
Formula One says, screw you. Formula One says, you guys want to watch our race? You got to pay us or else we're going to block. Jack Nicholas famously, listen to this story. Jack Nicholas back in the day at his golf course, uh, <clears throat> Mirfield Village, Jack Nicholas had a, a rule that said no parties in the back, loud parties, no for sale signs on the course. So some guy kept having big, loud parties <clears throat> on the 17th hole, and he had a great view. I think it was the 17th. It was somewhere between the 15th and the 18th, one of those three. Nicholas repeatedly and his group repeatedly warned this guy. So you know what Nicholas did? He said, all right. He built a big mound on that side of the green, blocking this guy's view of the green and basically the entire fairway. Jack Nicholas is no fool. Jack Nicholas is not to be messed with. This is not unprecedented, I guess, is what I'm saying, that Formula One wants their money. Show the man his monies. Show the man his monies is all they're saying. Hey, Graham Mc... <clears throat> the, I'm sorry. The Open Championship was fantastic for one reason. Brian Harmon dominated. <clears throat> and those of you that listen to my show and watch our show. No, I love, I love domination. Brian Harmon dominated. Graham McDowell has won the U.S. Open. Graham's going to join us next. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. You know, I always said watching the Europeans play golf is more fun. The Americans look like they got a stick up their ass, and the Europeans look like they're just having a freaking blast. Graham McDowell, nice enough to join. That's unfair. I was just unfair right there, Graham. My apologies, but that was unfair. Uh, I mean, listen, I, I always, I always talk to people about the Ryder Cup. You know, the Europeans will get, will get messed up on Sunday night, whether we win or lose. You know, so uh, you know there is. There is a little bit of fairness in that, but uh, now listen, bunch of great American dudes out there, and I, you know, I've always loved doing what I do, and I, you know, I always tell myself there's a there's a beverage waiting at the end of the day, regardless of what I shoot, you know. So, uh, you know, still out there trying to trying to grind away down. Thanks for having me on this morning. Appreciate it. Hey, I, I went I went to the Ryder Cup in uh, Detroit. I don't know how whenever it was, I don't know, and we're sitting there, and. A buddy of mine, and we're watching, uh, what is it, a Angel Jimenez with the hair bun. He's walking down the fairway. He's smoking a cigarette. He's just waving at people. I see, and this is unfair, <laughs> but I see David Toms's wife. Like, David Toms's wife and all these wives are all uptight. And here's Jimenez just smoking. A, it was awesome. It was great. Listen, they, I don't know. they broke the mold when they made that guy. They absolutely broke the mold. He's special. I mean... So many years I played in the European tour and we'd, uh, you know, we'd go out for dinner and uh, come back into the lobby of the hotel, say nine, nine thirty. And the Spanish boys, they're just heading out for dinner. You know, Miguel's got the stogie on, got the hair all kind of slicked back and the leather jacket. on. He, he's just heading out for dinner, you know, so, uh, you know, 
loves his wine, loves his cigars. He's been a great player for many, many years, still doing it. Great, great guy. Yeah. Hey, I want to ask you, yesterday, Brian Harmon is walking through. I mean, he did a hell of a job. First, I got a number of questions for you. You won the U.S. Open 2010, and when, when you're in contention, it's great to get in contention, but then you got to deal with the pressure of contention. Dude had a five-stroke lead. He had to sit on, sleep on a couple nights. What, what's that like? Yeah, Don, I think that's the hardest part. And, you know, my, my takeaway when I was watching it was that Saturday was always going to be a really difficult day for him, you know. And the Saturday's weather was obviously very gettable. Guys tore it up. The golf course, you know, obviously there was some rain in the morning. And, and, the, and the leaders in the afternoon guys, um, you know, they got, they got after it and they were starting to chase him down. And, you know, he obviously had that little bit of speed wobble early on. But, um, you know, hung in really well on Saturday. And, and in a funny way, I kind of, I kind of had the feeling that um, Saturday was going to be a tougher day for him than Sunday. I mean, obviously Sunday's conditions were, were, were very, were very difficult. But uh, from a, from a dealing with the mental pressure and the nerves point of view, in a funny way, Saturday, Saturday was kind of was harder for him, and he looked, like, he looked more relaxed on Sunday to me for sure. And uh, you know, sleeping on that lead's a real thing. It happened to me in Pebble in 2010 when I won the U.S. Open. I finished off my Friday morning round around lunchtime and I didn't tee off till late on Saturday and you're sleeping on that lead and you're dealing with the mental stresses that come with leading a big golf tournament like that. And it was obviously the first time I'd done it. Um, I know Brian, I think one uh, uh, led the, the U.S. Open at Aaron Hill. So he had dealt with, you know, listen, the guy's been on tour for, you know, 15 years and, and you know, played really well at, huge events you know all over the u.s and you know he's dealt with that pressure before but you know when you're leading an open championship all weekend that's uh it's something a little different and i mean i was really impressed the way he dealt with it like people say you got to get away from it all right like you mentioned okay so you have lunch at noon or whatever one o'clock whatever and obviously you tee off late because you're in the leader and and all right do you need to get away from it do you like i always try to think of this realistically like you don't go to the mall. You don't go to the bar. Maybe you do. I, what, what do you do? Like, what do you do for that time? Yeah, I mean, you certainly don't jump on social media and read what people think about you. You don't spend your morning through that anyway. That, 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 that's the first thing off the list. You know, I think um, it really just depends how you're wired. You know, some guys will, you know, get out of bed and go jump on the, the bike in the gym and just try and kill some hours just, just doing stuff, you know, Um no, listen. I mean, I, I've always been blessed with, uh, with with being a great sleeper, you know. So I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty good at kind of sleeping. I can sleep in a little bit, and um, you know, just try and you know w- watch a bit of the coverage. I mean, I think um, that that always helps. You might want to put the sound off so that you're again not listening to kind of the commentators giving you uh, the, their their point of view of what, how you're going to do that afternoon. But I think watching the coverage can can o- often help. You know, you get a feel for pin positions. You get a feel for the way the golf course is playing. Um, and you know, you might go up to the golf course just a bit, a bit earlier than normal and maybe go with a kind of a little bit of a, a split practice session where you maybe throw a little extra short game on there. So, um, there's no doubt like these three thirty in the afternoon tee times can, can take their toll. And, and they certainly, um, you, you, you know, you're not used to that schedule and you do have a bit of time to kill. So it's no doubt it's different. Uh, and, and like I say, Saturday was a huge day for a you know, I watched, I watched most of both runs on Saturday and Sunday and, uh, you know, obviously was intrigued by Brian because I've spent a lot of time with him. I've played a lot of golf with him. You know, he's always been a, always been a great player, always been a grinder. Um, 
you know, similar game to myself, really, you know, not particularly long, but, uh, you know, really relies on that accuracy with his driver, relies on that great iron play and being a great putter, you know. So, you know, I guess I could relate a lot to kind of the way he took the golf course on the, you know, the last couple of days, you know. I played I played the 06 Open at Hoy Lake and I played the 14 Open at Hoy Lake and I still find myself watching the coverage trying to figure out what type of golf course this really lends you know what kind of player this you know it, it, this golf course lends himself to because you know it, it looked to me like the big boys you know the long hitters struggled to kind of have places to drive the ball the the bunkering was so good um, I felt like you know when they took it on off the tee you know they were they were in trouble a lot. And then, you know, it, it suited the, the length that Brian Harmon hit it off the tee. He drove it great and uh, never really got himself in much trouble. You know, he obviously you had to avoid the bunkers at all costs. And, uh, you know, I, I remember thinking to myself yesterday when I was watching how, how, how few times I actually saw leaders hitting it in bunkers because the bunkers were the key to that golf course because, you, you know, you saw some of the lies you can get, you know, one foot out, one foot in, you know, back, you know, guys coming out backwards. So the traps were so penal, you had to stay away from them. Hey, Graham, Harmon talked after the round about a guy that yelled at him, hey, Harmon, you don't have the stones for this. And he's like, man, that was motivating. I thought you Europeans in golf invented it. I thought everybody was, like, nice. I thought nobody said anything <laughs> bad. But how much, how much do you hear, and, and, and how much does it motivate you when you're in that situation? Yeah, depending on what part of the world you're in, you know, you can definitely hear a little bit of chirping. And the chirping does does change from, from place to place, you know, around the U.S., for example, west coast to east coast, north to south. I mean, the, you, you do get different fans and different levels of inebriation. And, uh, you know, they do say stuff, right? So it just depends. It depends, um, it depends who you are as a character, how you deal with that, you know. And I read some quotes this morning from Brian Harmon's college coach, obviously in a similar situation in an NCAA match where, you know, um, something happened to him on the 15th green that kind of irked him. I think Fowler and his coach walked off the green and left Harmon with the pin and he had to go, go over and get the pin and, you know, do it all himself. And, you know, obviously etiquette there would have been that Fowler might've waited on the green and put the flag in after, you know, after Harmon putted out and he said something to his coach, like, you know, that that just that just pissed me off. I'm gonna whoop this kid, you know. So he he's always he's always had that little bit of uh, uh, he's always had that little bit of a chip on his shoulder. I feel like you know I, I don't know him super well, but I've played a lot of golf with him, and you know he always feels like to me he's the kind of guy that that feeds off a little bit of you know not not his own negative uh, negativity, but more just kind of like the naysayers. You know he he, he likes to you, you get players like that. Like I think Brooks Kopka is a little bit the same way. They like having something to be pissed off about. So you know that's something that really motivates them on the golf course. You know and and you know I did read that quote about Brian and 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 that spectator saying that to him that he didn't have the stones to win that. I mean to me I feel like you know if you'd have been on the grounds at Holy Lake yesterday, it rained all day. You know, you're looking for a Rory McIlroy or John Ram kind of run to, to to make it exciting for you. This, you know, U.S. golfer that you maybe don't really know too much about. He's, you know, he's putting this thing to bed and he's taking all the sting out of the day. So as a fan, you're like, man, this I'm not having a lot of fun today. And, you know, I obviously decided, you know, one of the fans decided to have a little bit of a chirp at him. But, uh, you know, listen, that's how Brian's wired, I guess. He really feeds off that. And, you know, there's obviously a lot of guys like him. Um 
you know, I feel like that's maybe not who I would be necessarily. You know, I, I kind of like to have a little fun. I like to nearly feed off the positive energy and have a little fun with the crowd. And, you know, like you say, when, when people say stuff to you that's a little stinging and, and then maybe gets a little personal, it can be tough to deal with if a, as a golfer because we're not a, you know, it's not a game that, 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 that kind of feeds on aggression. You know, you need to really be in that kind of calm and collected space. Well, certainly I do anyway. Hey, uh, Graham, you went to the Live Tour. We have an agreement to get an agreement, according to some. Uh, give me your take on this merger. Where, where is your mind, in your mind, is this merger? Yeah, listen, I think first and foremost, it's great for the game, you know, when you've got a, when you've got an investment group like the PIF that want to, you know, put, put all the money into sport that they're putting in. Uh, they want to spend a lot of money in golf. I mean, we need to find a way where that benefits everybody, you know, and not just 48 players on a breakaway tour that no one really likes. You know, that, that's that's not where we wanted to be. We wanted to be in a situation where, you know, the you know the players benefit, the fan benefits, and, and the game benefits, right? So, you know, obviously the players benefit by having the opportunity to play against each other as often as possible in the biggest events, and, and that's what the fan the fan needs to see guys that care, right? They need to see guys out there fighting for wins and fighting for their team. If that, if, if that's the, if that's the kind of, um, if that's the format of the tournament, they need to see players really caring about what they're doing because you know, that emotion, you can't fake that emotion. I feel like that's why the Ryder cup's so compelling. For example, I had someone ask me the other day, is that real? you know, what we see on TV at the Ryder Cup, you know, with, with the emotions you guys show, is that real? I'm like, it's it's absolutely real. It's, you know, there's no money to play for. And it's literally just representing your your country, your continent. Um, some, you know, the greatest experiences in my golf career have been at Ryder Cups. And uh, it is an absolutely real thing. So, like, to me, the fan, they know they know when players are, are invested. They know when something's compelling. And, uh, and I think that's the key, right? So, what does what does the schedule look like? What does this merger look like? I, I have absolutely no idea. You know, I've spoken to various players. You know, I've spoken to Rory a little bit about it. You know, obviously he's you know passionately you know defended his turf the last twelve months with the PGA Tour, being an incredible spokesman for them. Played unbelievably well through this journey. I mean, I can't believe how much this kid has had on his shoulders from a business and emotion point of view, and then proceeded to play you know some of the most incredible golf of his career. You know, I, he, he, he seemed positive about where the schedule could get to. I mean, obviously, he didn't know either, um, you know, totally, but he had some framework. I love that, uh, that word. That seems to be the buzzword right now, the framework, you know, uh, what it's all going to look yeah. like. Um, you, know, uh, you know, to me, you know, there, there, there's, there's, a couple of, there's a couple of pieces to this puzzle, and it really, you know, obviously, you've got all these tours, right? You've got the PGA Tour, the European Tour, the Live Tour, you know, and all the other tours around the world. And, you know, you've got to create this puzzle, which is the schedule. And maybe the, the puzzle pieces have to get like a little smaller so that the so that the puzzle works, right? The PGA Tour can't re- require guys to play 15 times. If Liver going to want guys to play 14 times, everything's going to have to get a little bit smaller for the best players in the world to be able to commit to, you know, say, say Live is eight and say the PGA Tour is 10. And, and then, you know, you add the four majors on top of that. Now you're at 22 events, so, you know, that's a lot for a John Ram. It's a lot for Rory McIlroy. Um, so, you know, you have to go go to these guys with a schedule and say, hey, can you do this? Is, is this achievable? You know, so to me, 
you know, they, they have to dream up the perfect ideal schedule and then find out if the best players in the world can make this happen. Um, because if they can't, well, you know, we're, we're, we're obviously barking up the wrong tree. So, you know, they're the key. You know, the, what the best players want is inevitably going to shape this and mold this whole thing. And, um, you know, the rest of the puzzle pieces will, will fit in around them, really. And, and, and thankfully, I think the game wins. And thankfully, I think the fan wins and you get a TV a TV kind of um, package that's going to be compelling and interesting to watch because, you know, I, I kind of look at the last 12 months as, you know, in this game of golf, the last 18 months even as, you know, it's obviously been incredibly impactful, um, you know, and there's been a huge amount of negativity about our sport. Um, but there's also probably been never been so many eyeballs on our sport either. Our sport's probably never been talked about as much as it's been talked about in the last 12 months. So we're potentially at one of the most pivotal moments in our sport since, since Tiger Woods, you know, since 96, since 97, when, you know, the greatest player of all time who transcended our sport came onto the scene. So we're now at, an, uh, at a new watershed moment where hopefully this game goes to the next level with all these new eyeballs and with all the, the, the talk and the, um, the interest in our sport. And it's just a case of now of, co- of creating a really, really compelling product that, you know, of course it's about the money, but you know, the fan needs something more than that. It's like the FedEx Cup, right? I mean, the FedEx Cup, it's a great tournament, but it's just this big payday where, you know, the Ryder Cup's emotion and, and majors are emotion and legacy and tradition. And, and, and there has to be something more than just a bunch of money. At the end of the day, the best players in the world want paid a bunch of money. That's fine. And I think everyone understands that. But let's create a product that's really, really compelling for the fan. I thought two things are interesting. One, one of the CEOs in front of Congress said, hey, look, if Liv kept taking five players a year, they were going to gut the PGA Tour. I thought that was a fascinating and true statement. The other thing, you know, you mentioned Rory, and I know I, I think you're really good friends with him, at least what I read. Do you think that Rory struggles down the stretch in tournaments? You think all the stuff that he's had to deal with, you know, eventually, you know, he's there at a tournament for four days. Do you think eventually it gets to him? Yeah, I mean, answering your, you know, the second part of that question first. I mean, I there, there has to be there has to be an emotional drain to what Rory's gone through the last eighteen months. There's no doubt about that. Like I said, you know, a few minutes ago, I, I've, you know, I can scarcely believe the type of golf he's played under the under the circumstances. I mean, he's been. You know, he, he's finished top ten in eight of his last ten major championships. I mean, he, you know. I'm sure he, you know, he 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 feels like he may have, you know, should have done better the last couple of years, and and should have maybe picked off that that elusive made, you know, first major since you know 2014 or or whatever that number is. I mean, he's such a talented player. I've I've watched him since 2007. He's the best player I've ever seen. Um, you know, to, total package regards pure talent. I I feel like, um, and there's no doubt. I mean, um, you know, I watched him at the weekend. I mean, conditions were tough yesterday. I mean, he, he looked like he putted a bit better. But, you know, is everything off the golf course taking a toll on Rory? I mean, who knows? But, I mean, it would be, you know, it would be impossible for that not to take some sort of a toll on him. And has that affected his golf? Yeah. Who knows? But, um, you know, it's, it, it's been a difficult time for him. And, you know, and, and obviously, you know, going back to the Live PGA Tour thing, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's always going to be players that are going to become disillusioned with what they're doing, disillusioned with the grind and, and, and jumping over to a, an opportunity and a financial opportunity like live. And, and like, and like they said, in uh, you know, at, at that Congress hearing, 
you know, it was going to be debilitating for the PGA Tour going forward if they kept losing top top class players, world class players, three, four, five. That burn rate was was a was was eventually going to be causing a serious problem for the PGA Tour. So, you know, listen, I'm happy where we're at. I mean, it's going to take it could take eighteen months to to get this thing to a to to a stage where we all understand what's going to happen and where the best players in the world can play a schedule together. Um, but I, I, you know, I'm, I'm obviously very hopeful and positive that we're going to get there. I gotta, I gotta. One thing before I let you go, you just said Rory McIlroy is the most talented player you've ever seen. Does that include Tiger? Yeah, I think it does. I, I you know, I, I, I guess I, I guess I, you know, I've seen, you know, I've obviously spent so much time with Rory, and I've, you know, I've played Ryder Cup matches alongside of him. I've watched him hit shots. Um, you know, listen, Tiger Woods, to me, is the greatest player of all time. Um, but, you know, when it comes to just pure, yeah. raw, tee to green, short game, talent level, natural ability, to me, Tiger is like an absolute, he's just a machine. You know, I wouldn't put Rory in the machine kind of category. I'd put him in just the raw, pure talent category. And, and I guess that's sort of the, the angle I'm coming from there. I mean, Tiger is... Um, you know, Tiger's just a, he's just a killing machine. And, uh, you know, was, was built that way to me, to me, to me, Rory was, um, you know, he was just handed a, handed a golf club and he could just do it, you know? And, you know, it was, uh, yeah, I, I've, like I say, I've had the, the great opportunity to watch him for a very, very long time. I've watched him hit unbelievable shots and, uh, you know, I've shook my head many times watching him going. I mean, this kid, this kid has just got you know so much ability and so much talent around the greens. You know, I think his short game is highly underrated. Um, you know, like I say, I played with Tiger many, many times as well, and I, you know, I, I'm always in awe of the guy. You know, because he is just like I say, he's just a an ultimate golfing killing machine, and and you know, he's he's ruined a few careers. Let's be honest with with his ability to close it out on Sundays. <laughs> I think that's the greatest description a guy could ever have of another athlete. The ultimate <laughs> killing machine. I mean, I don't think there's I don't think there's any better. Graham, it's great it's great talking to you, man. I really appreciate you taking a few minutes. Really fun. I hope you'll come back. Absolutely. No, Dan, big fan of what you're doing and love listening to you. I appreciate you having me on. That's Graham McDowell. Thank you, sir. I love watching him play. I did. I love watching all those guys. I love watching Harrington play. I love watching uh, Angel Jimenez. I do. I just, I think they just make the game of golf like you and I try to make it. We try to make it fun. I've always said I'll bet anybody and drink anything on a golf course as long as it's fair. As long as it's fair, I'll bet you I'll play you. Uh, but, and we're going to have a few beers. That's just, I don't know. I just like watching those guys play. I think they're fun. And Graham McDowell is one of my favorites. Always has been. True story. Uh, Urban Meyer is going to join us. There's going to be a thing coming out, and you're going to love it. It's called Swamp Kings. Swamp Kings is going to be the highest-rated Netflix show right there with Last Dance. It is a four-week special. It's an untold stories version. It's what Netflix is doing with different things, untold stories. And the reason this is so going to be so compelling is the characters involved. Urban, great character. Whether you love him like I do or dislike him, that's on you. That's part of the world that we live in. When you're as successful as Urban Meyer has been, people are going to try to chop him down. Ain't good. If he would have stayed with Jacksonville, Jacksonville would be legit this year. Jacksonville's not legit. Jacksonville had a luck, lucky little deal to get into playoffs. Fine. 
Anyway, one of the great college football dynasties, 2006 to 2009, you got Tim Tebow in there. 14 years ago, our guy Clay Travis famously asked Tim Tebow, are you saving yourself for marriage? That's the kind of thing. Aaron Hernandez, we all know the tragic life and times and anybody that came in contact with Aaron Hernandez, the Pouncey brothers, Percy Harvin. Are you kidding me? There, Joe Hayden. There are so many people, so many great players involved. And I know one of the things from a coaching standpoint that was awesome, we're going to be awesome in this, is this. It's going to be how freaking competitive these guys were. How insanely competitive. And look, I get it. A lot of you are going to want to know, well, what about you know, the, what about the criminal, the behind-the-scenes activity? Well, that's in this, too. There's a trailer for it, which shows police cars. I mean, look, it is what it is. I know the only perfect people out there are our media. I know the only per- other perfect people out there are fans of other teams. Like, your team has done nothing wrong. Like, I'll never forget talking to Kevin O'Neill, the head coach of Tennessee at the time when uh, Fulmer was the coach of uh, – of Tennessee and the basketball players, he's like, man, we got to live with these idiot football players and the cops every Friday and Saturday night are at the dorm. And we got to live with these guys. We got to live with them. And every time I get a call, it's like, hey, here's the deal. Uh, wait, cops are coming to wherever, wherever. Oh man, that's where my players live. And invariably it would be the freaking football team doing something stupid. So the only perfect people, I understand the only perfect people, ladies and gentlemen, is your team. Your team is perfect. Everybody else's team sucks. Let's put it that way. And Urban's going to join us. And I'm telling you right now, Last Dance, Michael Jordan, the documentary was riveting. And it was riveting for a variety of reasons. One of the reasons was, frankly, it was during the pandemic and there was nothing there to watch. If you remember, Sunday night, all right, there's no succession. There's no house of cards. There's no football. There's no nothing. So everybody tuned in to Michael Jeffrey Jordan, and it's going to be the same thing. Here it is. It's going to be the exact same thing. Hey, I wanted to get into this real quick. Speaking of football, Coach Willie Simmons of Florida A&M, the Rattlers, he suspended his entire team. The entire team was suspended because these idiots brought in some filthy, dirty, disgusting rapper and made a filthy, dirty, disgusting rap video. They brought in real Boston Richie into the locker room, shot a video, and the lyrics were horrific. Like, I had a thing with my player. I don't give a damn. Play the music all you want. I could care less. Doesn't matter to me even a little bit. But I don't want to hear no... I don't want to hear the N-word, and I don't want to hear, no, I hate white people. Because there's white people in the locker room. And you know what? There's African Americans in the locker room. And some of them don't like the N-word. And just because you do, don't mean that others got to hear it. I don't care what you play, but I don't want to hear the N-word, and I don't want to hear, I hate white people. White people, bad. No. Uh Uh-uh. No. I should have added, I don't want to hear uh, denigrating women. But you know what happened? When I first got there, Leonega had like a, uh, it was a mess to a certain degree. 
But anyway, by the time second or third year, they, they didn't even play music. Dudes had headsets on. They didn't even play music. But Willie Simmons said, look, enough. We're going to have a standard here for our university. And you players have not met the standard. And in not meeting the standard, you don't deserve to play. Now, who knows what's going to happen here? Who knows? But if I were the president of Florida A&M, I would give Willie Simmons, the head coach, I would give him a 10-year deal. I'm sorry. I know we're all supposed to win. I understand we are. I know that's the most important thing. I get it. This thing was on YouTube. These guys, this guy, little Boston Richie, was in Florida A&M gear. A lot of players put in. And this is what Willie Simmons said. It is a privilege to wear the orange and green. And as a football program, our young men have failed to live up to the standards set before us. They will all learn from this misstep. And we will continue to work hard every day to become the best version of ourselves and continue to make Rattler Nation proud. Now, this group is supposed to open up September 3rd. It's good because, frankly, they can get this all out of the way. It is a month before camp opens or right around there, maybe a little less. And he can get this straightened out and he can get the players that don't want to be a part of it to get the hell out. Maybe they lose a few games, but I'm giving Willie Simmons, I'm giving him a lifetime contract. I'm telling you right now. I'm telling you, Swamp Kings is going to be the deal. Urban Meyer and I are going to discuss when we come back. Also, has Georgia passed Alabama in the SEC? That seems blasphemous. We'll be right back. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. I, you know, I said this 100 years ago, and I, I love being right. I, I just love when I'm right. And I, I remember telling Indiana University, look, hire Urban Meyer. He's the best coach. I don't care the sport that I've ever seen. And I worked for a great one. I did. I played for a great one, worked for a great one. Urban Meyer certainly proved to be exactly what I said. Urban, nice enough to join us now from a charity event at Muirfield. Hey, boss, this Swamp Kings, I swear to God. Now, Michael Jordan had an advantage over you. <clears throat> because it was during the pandemic, nothing to watch, nothing to do. But this Swamp Kings that's coming out, brother, I swear to you, the interest in this is going to go through the roof, and this is going to be unbelievable, and it's going to rival Jordan. What do you expect out of it? Well, Michael, Jordan has an advantage over all of us, the greatest of all time. But, uh, you know, Tim Tebow, we had the greatest. Yeah, that's right. You held him to nine points. I remember that story. So That's right. <laughs> Um, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's going to be a great show. I've seen all four episodes, you know, it's, uh, the highs and lows of, a a great run in college football. It's a celebration of one of the greatest players. I think I'm biased, but the greatest player ever to play Tim Tebow, uh, a very talented team that, you know, uh, won two championships in three years, went, I believe 13 and one, three out of four years. And, uh, just a great, uh, 
great group of elite players that uh, took Florida to, uh, uh, you know, to championships in football. And then I wish they would have done the story where Billy Donovan at the same time was winning basketball in 06 and 07 with that unique, incredible basketball team. You know, both uh, the University of Florida held both trophies for uh, four year, four out of uh, three out of four years, uh, which is incredible. Hey, Urban, you know, a lot of people, I saw the trailer on it and a couple things. One, I, I want to get into this first. You've always told me, like, the practices with that particular group were insane. Yeah, I, I grew up in the, you know, in the era where you just, toughness was the key, and I still believe toughness is the key. And so we would practice hard, and a lot of times, as a coach, you push a team as far as they'll go, and this team had no end. I mean, we would... There, there was a story. I'm not sure if it goes in the in the Swamp King story, but one time in spring practice in 2009, Tebow was an on uh, Tebow was an offense with the penalties. He had Brandon Spikes and Carlos Dunlap and those great players on defense. We had inside drill. That's nothing but a toughness drill. It's about running the ball against stopping the run. And they were chirping and going after each other. This is spring practice, and I had an NFL coach with me. And it was so violent, so intense. After two plays, I stopped it. You know, I said, that's enough. I mean, we're going to hurt each other here. You know, I don't, we don't need to show any more time. And the, the coach looked at me and says, I've been in football for 40 years. I've never witnessed anything like that. The talent, the toughness, and the competitive spirit on that team was, to, in, in my lifetime, unmatched. How do you did did you have you know speaking of Billy Donovan I went uh, I went down saw you and I went and spent some time with Billy when he was in that run and one of the things that he talked about was managing injury and managing players time against other players because he felt like the only thing that could stop that crew was if Joe Kim Noah got injured or if Al Horford got injured. Your team toughness football you know you're knocking the hell out of each other. How much did you have to manage? Uh, that, the toughness, the going against each other? Well, you you reach a point where it's diminishing return, and that's very obvious. And I, you know, like any coach, like you were, when you coach, you have one or two or three people you really count on. And mine was my strength coach, Coach Mick Marotti, who was my right-hand man. And, uh, you know, Lou Holtz would always help you. There's, there's three types of teams. One team that's overconfident, you need to break down. One team that's lack of confidence, and you need to build them up. And then there's that perfect team. And that's where there's a little bit of arrogance. There's the toughness. And once you get that equilibrium of toughness and of confidence, you know, then you just got to get them ready for the game. And it reached that point of Florida uh, rather quickly. Once we got that thing going, recruited elite players. And there was such a culture of toughness and work ethic in that place that uh, it was diminishing returns. So I was very cautious about that. You mentioned Tebow. Tebow comes out. And hell, he's a TV star before he ever gets to you. ESPN's doing a, I don't know, a documentary, a behind-the-scenes kind of deal. Was there ever any jealousy because of the popularity of Tebow? And if so, how'd you manage that? Oh, sure. I, I think uh, later in his career that started uh, to surface a little bit. And uh, that was something we had to deal with. I mean, the, the reality is Tim was Tim Tebow. And uh, he didn't bring it upon himself at all, but he was a polarizing figure that we would. Uh, when we went to play at Mississippi State, the Plains land, and we get in a, a police escort to the hotel, and we had to stop the buses, and we couldn't get to the hotel because there were thousands of people lined up. And, you know, you just had to have security everywhere. There was times where I had 
you know, we had Tebow, Percy Harvin, and Brandon Spikes. They all became cult heroes. And I would, you know, we put them in a van just to leave the practice field so they could get back and not be bothered. Uh, there was times, you know, they couldn't really walk around campus. They couldn't go anywhere because this team became, you know, the the players just became bigger than life. And, uh, you know, I can see why they were great. It was a great team, great players. You know, but you and I both know that, yeah, you know, great teams sometimes don't connect with the fans. Great teams sometimes just, you know, they're, they're popular. But then it, there had to be something with this particular group. I saw the trailer and guys are like, man, this is incredible. This is big. You know, this is and, and the stories that you're telling. There had to be some kind of human element that connected these guys yeah. to people. Yeah, they were all, they were a cast of characters. They were, they were, you know, they, they celebrated uh, and they had fun on campus, off campus, you know, and that's well documented. We had some issues that we all had to deal with. And, uh, but they, and that's kind of one of the reasons I wanted to get involved because there was a narrative that these guys were bad people. Certainly there, we had some guys on the team that, you know, went on afterwards and did, you know, one guy in particular did horrific stuff. But during that era, you know, it was a team that, uh, you know, like I said, a cast of characters, but I love those guys. And the, the fact if someone said they're bad people, I'd fight that. Say that's not true. Did we have some issues like a lot of other college teams did? Certainly. Uh, but I'll tell you what, that they, the fans, and that's probably why this show is going to get so much attention. People identified with them. They love these guys, love them as players, and you know, a lot of love them as characters. Yeah, look, I always liked the Florida-Tennessee game, and I'm living in Indiana. Then you become the coach in Florida, so now I'm going to watch Florida. But I, I remember telling Jackie, my first wife, like, hey, if Urban wasn't the coach, I'd still be watching these dudes every freaking day, you know, if you had the same dudes, right? I mean, because – all right, you mentioned the off-field issues. You show that. I mean, people are saying, well, I'm sure Urban had editorial control. He calmed it down. Answer that, would you, for me? Yeah, I, I didn't have any editorial uh, control over anything. I just, I'll tell you what I did, though, is when I was asked to be a part of it, there was, you know, like I said, things said that I wanted to make sure that, you know, I was going to make sure that the uh, it didn't become a narrative. And if it did, then I was going to give, and so was Tim, so was Brandon Spike, so was Brandon Soller, so was Major Wright, so was Odd Mad Black, uh, Dallas Baker. You know, these guys were all leaders on the team. They were in the locker room. They were part of these teams. And, sir, there, there was some stuff that happened that, um, you know, people made mistakes on those teams. And the mistakes were corrected. The mistakes, um, unfortunately, received a lot of headline, which, you know, I see Georgia going through some stuff now, and I've seen other teams go through it. And, you know, that's what happens when you're at, at the top of the, the mountain. You know, I – my first practice at Indiana was the first practice after they won a national championship in basketball. And I'm a freshman. I'll never forget how Coach Knight just killed us. And I wasn't even a part of national, but he wanted to make sure that handling success was something we did. You mentioned Georgia. How hard is it to handle success? Georgia going through a ton of different things, right? You talk about the things you went through. Success is not the easiest thing to handle. Is there a comparison? Do you see a comparison with what Georgia's going through right now? Oh, sure. I've seen it uh, at all levels. You know, I've talked to, uh, I've had many friends in this business, and I'll never forget when Joe Madden won the 2016 
World Series with the Chicago Cubs. And, and I'm not talking legal because I don't know enough about all that. I just know about handling a team. Right. And it's the diff- same right. people, different team. And that's why the opportunity to repeat is so hard. You know, both in, uh, what was it, 08, we had the majority of the team back, and we went 13-1 and one and just lost that last uh, SEC championship game. In 2014, we won the national championship here at Ohio State, and 15 had a lot of players back. And once again, went 13-1, and one, but you just – it was hard to coach that team, and and I'm not no. There's no blame. It's just people change, and that's why I admire. You know, I think Nick Saban has done a really good job of consistency. I think Kirby Smart's doing a hell of a job right now, but it's only going to get harder. And Lou, once again, I use Lou Holtz quite a bit because he's such a great mentor to me. That climbing a mountain takes energy and togetherness. Once you're atop the mountain, it's nothing but fatigue. I mean, you're getting all arrows pointed at you, and you got to really stick together. You got to really be disciplined because things come your way that uh, we're all human beings and mistakes will happen. And I saw that happen and we did the very best. We, you know, I really look back now and say, man, we tried our hardest to make sure we isolated players away from all the outside nonsense. And it's really hard to do. There's only two perfect people in this world. One of them is the media and the other is the other team's fans. You know, the other team's fans are perfect because you suck and our team is great. And, of course, the media, these clowns, have never, ever made a mistake. What do you see? Like, and I'm not – I guess I'm asking you to have a crystal ball, but it's based on your experience. Like, is this – how do I put this right? George is going to be really good. But this is a different team for Georgia, right? And Saban doesn't seem to have any issues with this. He just keeps going. Do you see Georgia having a more difficult year because of what's happened? I just think it's going to be a difficult year because a transition, a quarterback, they had the most underrated player in my mind in the last 20 years of college football, and that's Stetson Bennett. Uh, you know, I you can just say what you want other than he's got a bunch of rings on his finger. And that's, to me, how you measure the success of a quarterback. So they have new quarterback. They have, you know, everything pointed right at him. Um, but I think, you know, all you got to do is I know Kirby's smart. I know, actually know his wife. She's great, great people and friends of ours. And, and I think he's done a phenomenal job. And he's consistently recruiting at a level that's, you know, only matched by maybe Ohio State and Alabama. So they're, they're still separating themselves from the rest of the SEC. You know, Alabama is an intriguing one as well. Now, also, George, I don't want to undervalue the, the staff. He lost his offense coordinator. You know, I just was reading this morning about Tommy Reese going to Alabama. And those are when I struggle. You know, we when you lose a great coach, you better replace him with a great or greater coach. Or that's where it's going to be the follow-up. I think the assistant coaches are the most unsung heroes of any championship run. I go back now and I look at our championship seasons. You look at those assistant coaches I had, they basically all became head coaches, or at least, you know, the majority of them did. So the assistant coaches is something to watch very closely. Nick Saban has done it, and he just keeps, you know, he loses coaches and he keeps going. He loses coaches and keeps going. And that's a credit to his culture because I struggled with that. When I lost assistant coaches, uh, you know, we, we just, we fell off a little bit at, at certainly the places where I had to replace them. Yeah, what'd you go? 12 and 2? 14 and 1? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that for you yeah. was a struggle. I mean, come on. I mean, you know, I mean, okay, we lost an assistant. Shit, somebody might be tied with us at halftime. Damn it. We gotta figure this. Yeah. We gotta figure this out. 
Who the problem is that we, we did. I really, I really believe, I really believe we had enough talent to maybe, you know, you talk about the national championship and I know that's unfair because there's so much stuff, but you look at like the 09 team and that 2015 team, man, were they good. And, you know, we had coaching transition and we just didn't, we didn't did it once again, though, we went 13 and one, but you just, there's no room for error. Yeah. No, I mean, people think that national championships are easy when you're at that certain level. National championships, man, I mean, it's impossible. And you were able to do it three times. I got to ask you, you know what? You watch Seinfeld and, you know, Jerry's the connecting guy, right? Everybody kind of connects through Jerry. Was there a guy on those teams that you had that maybe people didn't know about was kind of the connecting guy? Yeah, you know, on, on Florida, they're, they're going to see him. I mean, he, he is a type A. He's a guy that, you know, was in his own way an incredible leader. But Brandon Spikes on our team at Florida was just the connector. Man. He was a guy, and, you know, of course, he played in the NFL, so people know of him. But you're really going to get to know him in this show, and it's, it's rightfully so. He was a connector, certainly on defense, but as a team as well. As Spikes went, our team went. And then, uh, you know, I'm going to give kudos to Charlie Strong, too. He was my D coordinator in Florida. We don't win the two championships without him. We don't. Charlie Strong is one of the best coaches and best people I've ever been around. So that's a connector. The connector at Ohio State, you know, JT Barrett was such – and he got hurt, but he became such a, a vocal and behind-the-scenes leader. Uh, you know, I, I'm once again very biased, and I, I wear my feelings on my sleeve. I think he's one of the greatest players ever to play the game of college football, certainly at Ohio State and certainly in the Big Ten. Why was Charlie Strong so important to that crew, Urban? Uh, he's tremendous. You know, he just was uh, – I didn't – so, for example, we have a tight end, uh, Cornelius Ingram, making the decision whether to come back or to go for a senior year. He's a tight end, and he asked to meet with me and Charlie Strong. He didn't ask to meet with a tight end coach. He didn't ask to meet with other people. That's how much people valued his opinion because Charlie was a guy that, you know, he'd give you a shirt off his back. He'd give honest answers. And, you know, he was the guy that was a connector in that locker room and on that staff. Hey, Urban, how difficult – can you put in perspective how difficult it was or maybe, you know, for Brian Kelly to come from Notre Dame – you know, Boston guy, Michigan, co- you know, coached up in Grand Valley, Cincinnati, and all of a sudden he comes to the South. You did the same thing. You came to the South, and Charlie Strong, you got it done at the national championship, a couple of them at Florida. How difficult is that for a guy to, like Brian Kelly to come into LSU and do what he did? Well, the one thing about Brian Kelly is one at every level, and that's where, you know, that's I have great admiration from Grand Valley State to Central Michigan to Cincinnati to Notre Dame. He's a winner. I know him well. He's uh, very disciplined about the way his teams play. But I'll also be very honest. When he took the job, I was very skeptical. I was worried because I, it was a culture shock for me to go from Notre Dame to Bowling Green to Utah to end up in the SEC because the SEC now, that is the intensity level of every week, of every day, is unmatched anywhere in college football. Last thing, last thing before I let you go, um, and, and I want to get back to the to the special that you have. Um, when you when you were going through the the Swamp Kings, 06 to 09, did you did you just sometimes sit at practice and go, damn, I, you know, I, I didn't know players could be this good, or damn, 
how, this is pretty amazing just what these guys physically can do. I did. I, I mean, that was, I mean, the, the, and all due respect to the other parts of the country, when I stepped foot down in Florida, and my first exposure to the SEC was Tennessee at the Swamp in 2005. And the size of the men and the speed of the, and the collisions, I, I mean, I never witnessed anything like that. And then we, we weren't quite at that level in 05, but by the time we got to 06, 07, 08, 09, I did. I'd look out there at times and say, you got six foot, you know, you got these pouncy twins that are gigantic human beings or as athletic as, you know, skill players at other places. I have guys like Carlos Dunlap that return. How about this? Carlos Dunlap returned a kickoff in high school for a touchdown. He's a six foot seven, 285 pound defensive end. So you're just talking about athleticism and then the impact, the contact. That's why you just admire that, that, that conference to this day, it's still, I think the Big Ten's getting closer because they're recruiting at a much different level with Ohio State, uh, the Wolverines, and Penn State. You watch them this year, they have SEC talent. But for years, it wasn't even close. Hey, last, last thing. If you just used name, image, and likeness for, for what it was supposed to be, you go to school, you play, somebody wants to put you on a, a car dealership, just the name as it was proposed. How much would Tim Tebow have made? How many deals would have come across his desk, your desk, uh, on a daily basis? And how big a distraction could that have been for Tebow? Well, well a quick comment I made this before is I think you can fix NIL rather quickly. You get rid of the collectives. You know, that, that's got to go away. You know, that's to, to ask donors to start supporting. You know, I hear it all the time now because I'm friends with the great donors. And they're like, well, I get asked uh, – Donate $100,000 to buy this guy a truck. No, that's not what you're supposed to do. If if a car dealership wants to hire, you know, uh, uh, the great player uh, Marvin Harrison, that's that's fantastic. That's called capitalism. The other thing's called cheating. But to answer your question, you know, you you saw the you know, Cam Newtons, the Tim Tebow's, the Cardell Jones, you know, the amount of money that those guys could have made and capitalistic, I mean, right money, which I would I'm a huge fan of. That's what's supposed to happen. I mean, it would have been, what, $10 million a year? I mean, can you imagine the value that was been placed on, on that? But it would have not been donors. It would have been – because I'll tell you what, you want to have someone sell cars for you? Tim Tebow can. You know, can, uh, uh, you, know you don't want to sell or, you know, some business wants to have Cardell Jones back when he won that championship in 2014. You're darn right he could. But that's the right way to do it, not, not what's happening now. No, I agree. That's why I asked it that specific way because, you know, I'm sure, you know, other schools would have been bidding for Tebow the way it goes now. But the way it's supposed to be, Tebow would have been, I think, like back in my day, Steve Alford would have been leading to a national championship. You want to sell a car? Here's your guy, right? I mean, that's, that's the way it was supposed to be, and kids would benefit from it. Let's put it that way. Not a 17-year-old coming out of high school that has an agent and they're – trying to rally up money from boosters to, to pay a high school player. Um, you know, I just, uh, the stories I'm hearing, Dan, it's, and you, you didn't hear every coach saying, my gosh, what, what are we doing? You know, let, let that 17 year old go win a national title, become an all American and certainly capitalize on his name and likeness. That's called the American way. That's, that's what should happen. Yeah, no question about it. Hey man, I appreciate you coming on. I know you're busy as hell, but this is going to be a massive, massive thing. Uh, it's going to be great. I can't wait. 
Hey, congratulations on your father's golf event too, man. And I knew your dad. I loved your dad and love your family. All the best. Hey, I can't thank you enough. Two guys, you're going to really like playing with them. You played with one. They bought it, and uh, they're going to come down, and we're going to kick the living shit out of them. So that's all right. In. <laughs> See you, brother. Thank you. That's the great Urban Meyer. You will not hear a better football conversation all year than that. He's the absolute best. And big noon football, uh, big noon Saturday on ES, or excuse me, on Fox is the best football show. And his segment is the absolute best. Yeah, Urban was nice enough. He donated uh, a round of golf. He and I are going to go and take on my buddy Cam Safali and Brad Laconi down in uh, Florida. I got to plug this in or else I'm going to lose my computer. But anyway, so you will not hear a better. And this thing is going to be unbelievable. It's called Swamp Kings. It's going to be on Netflix. And it is going to be uh, a four-part series. And you will love it. No, you won't like it. You will love it. And I know, hey, look, I get it. If I talk about it, you know, guys on Twitter are going to, well, you know, this, that, and the other. Look, it's going to be fantastic. Trust me when I tell you it is going to be absolutely fantastic. Graham McDowell <clears throat> was on our show today talking about B Brian Harmon. Let me tell you what I saw this weekend. First and foremost, I love waking up to the British Open. I absolutely love it. And I swear to God, there's going to be a day in my life where I give my guy Aaron notice and say, hey, I'm going to be gone in two months for a week because my fat ass is just going to get on a plane and go to Scotland and hang out around, get a hotel room, spend a little money, hang out around these courses and just try to get on. Because every time I talk about trying to get on one of these courses, everybody, well, you got to go through this, that, or the other. Uh-uh. I swear to God, I'm going to get in a plane because it looks so much like so much fun just to be there and play. I don't care the weather. And Brian Harmon stood up to everybody. Brian Harmon had the lead. Hey, it's one thing to get the lead. It's another thing to sleep on the lead and another thing to hang on to the lead. It's unbelievable that this guy did this for two nights and seriously was never challenged. Maybe it got to three, Rom made a move, Harmon bogeyed a couple. But this dude is this tall. He hits it far, but not like, you know, Rory McIlroy far. And he stood up. And I got to tell you, in my world, I love, I don't like, I love when people do that. I love when they stand up to everything around them. And golfers are really the last cowboys. These dudes don't make the cut. They don't get paid. You get in your plane, you fly out there, you go play, you don't make the cut, you come home, or maybe you try to skate an appearance somewhere, or maybe do a clinic so you can at least pay your airfare, but that's not always that easy. But these dudes, I love watching them. One bad shot costs you thousands sometimes, hundreds of thousands, and it is fan-effing-tastic. Freaking great. Great. You know my stance on the world that we live in. How about we leave the kids alone? How about we just leave the kids out of it one little shot before we go to break? You know, I'm tired of these trans people coming at kids. I don't care if you're trans. I don't care what you are. But I have had enough of trans folks jackassing around with our kids. It shouldn't happen. 
And of course, here's a lawmaker, the first trans lawmaker. Now, I get it. Everybody says this isn't a mental health issue, this trans thing. Of course, there are going to be a number of people where it is a mental health issue, where it is problematic. But here's this guy. A trans-Democrat lawmaker allegedly conspired to sexually exploit kids. This is a lawmaker. This is the first trans lawmaker from New Hampshire. He's facing criminal... Stacy Marie Locke, who was born male, identifies as female, has been charged with aiding and abetting the sexual exploitation of children. There you go. This idiot, Lawton, was in cahoots with somebody named Lindsey Grove. They were dating. They worked together to take sexually exploited pictures of children where she worked. She was a daycare worker. I swear to God, I think I would kill the daycare worker. I swear to God. A 10,000 text messages discussing transfer of explicit photos that Groves, the daycare worker, had taken. Listen to this of children three to five years old. How do you even have a sexually exploitive photo of kids that age? Honest to God. And of course, she, this Groves, is a big fat pos. And of course, the other dude identifies as a woman and it's a lawmaker. World is nuts. World is insane. As Urban Meyer said off air, This show needs to take over the world. Thanks for everybody being here. We'll be right back. Dan Campbell is doing Dan Campbell stuff, damn it. Yeah, he is. Be right back. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, get ready for it. I think it's going to come out today. Adam Rittenberg from ESPN, who I really like as a reporter. He's a little crabby with us because I make fun of ESPN and their reporters. But he put out yesterday a group of Northwestern football players working with civil rights attorney Ben Crump uh, will announce their lawsuit today. Get ready for it. Per the release, the the complaint will include named plaintiffs, with horrific details. Look, here's the deal. Uh, Former quarterback Lloyd Yates will file a three-count lawsuit. Complaint identifies one Northwestern football coach who allegedly witnessed the hazing and sexual conduct, failed to report it. Other coaches and staff accused of disregarding various uh, obvious raucous hazing and sexual act. The complaint will say that two assistant coaches were hazed in similar ways as the players. Well, I got to tell you, this is going to get interesting. This is going to get sexy. This is not going to slow down. Dan Campbell is in the news. Yeah, up downs, baby. Dan Campbell, the tough guy, meathead coach who we all love of the Detroit Lions has also said that the Detroit football Lions are going to have to earn the respect yeah, they are. Dan Campbell and the Lions had a nice year last year. They went 9-8. and eight. Jared Goff, hey, stop the Jared Goff hate right now. If you're going to go fantasy football on me, then you got to go with Jared Goff, I think. Jared Goff has been really, really good. And uh, Dan Campbell has been really, really good. 
I mean, people can get mad and they don't like Dan Campbell talking about biting kneecaps or whatever, but that's just stupid. We all like Dan Campbell. Of course they have to earn respect. Dan Campbell is doing up-downs. He's doing them with the team. He's doing them better than the team, and he's 47 years old, and he's built like all get-out. He's built like me, except better and different. But Dan Campbell and the Lions, of course they do. Look, they got a hell of a break. The entire division, including my former team, the Chicago Bears, got a hell of a break. Why? No more Aaron Rodgers. You take Aaron Rodgers out of that division, what do you got? Name me the quarterbacks. Jordan Love, Kirk Cousins, Justin Fields. Jared Goff's the best quarterback in that division, not the best running quarterback because Justin Fields says he's the best running quarterback in the NFL, and he might be right. Hell, I don't know. But I do know this. Uh, without Aaron Rodgers, 9-8 and eight has a chance to become 11-6. and six. Just my opinion. I could be dead wrong. Maybe they fall flat on their face, but got best quarterback in the division, the best passing quarterback in the division, until proven otherwise. Going to be interesting. Cole Beasley, he of the personal attacks on him because he was very, very, very against having to get the vaccine, which we are now learning wasn't all that safe, which is, of course, what I told you back in the day. But Cole Beasley, who I remember being a stud with the Cowboys, a lot of people remember him being part of the Bills Mafia, Aaron Perini, one of the stars of our show, uh, remembers him fondly as being a star of the Buffalo Bills. I personally think, yeah, all right, good for him. He signed with the Giants. He's going to be in there with the great Daniel Jones, maybe with Saquon Barkley, and I'll bet you money. There's no chance Saquon Barkley sits out. I mean zero, zip, nada, none. A-N-F-W is what we use. Absolutely no way does a guy in his prime at running back does he sit out? Look, you have a chance to prove everybody wrong, and you have a chance. Get yourself a couple thousand yards. Put yourself in a conversation for the Hall of Fame. The money will come later. Man. But anyway, good for them. Jimmy Garoppolo, ladies and gentlemen, mostly ladies, because, well, Jimmy Garoppolo is the second most handsome man that you will see today, obviously me being first. Jimmy Garoppolo is dreamy. I mean, let's just be honest. Let's call it what it is. Jimmy Garoppolo is dreamy. He is absolutely 1,000% dreamy. We love us some Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo is a handsome man. He's a suave man. He's a debonair man. He has that look on his face like, hey, look, I'm going to have sex with your daughter, and you and your wife are going to be my best friends while I do it. That's the look that he has. He does. I'm sorry. He's got that impish, boyish look that I have. And this is how I was always described. Guys want to hang with me and women want to get with me. That's right. There, I said it. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Or, well, maybe not. Maybe not. But I think so. And if I think so, that's enough for you, is it? Not yet. But Jimmy Garoppolo passed his physical with the Raiders and is going to get a chance to play. This is going to be interesting. Because already the San Francisco 49ers have shown they can win with any quarterback. The question then becomes, can one of their quarterbacks go win somewhere else? 
Can Jimmy G go win in Las Vegas? Does Jimmy G have enough? Devontae Adams is there. Josh Jacobs will play, even though he's being a little biatch. Uh, does Jimmy Garoppolo have enough to win? Is he good enough to win? I don't know. We're going to find out. It's kind of like Brady and Belichick, uh, but Jimmy Garoppolo is Belichick. Brady, like the San Francisco 49ers, has already shown that he can win. Has Belichick? Don't know. 49ers have already shown. Has Garoppolo? I don't know. Hey, uh, Lincoln Riley, you're really smart. Look, Pat Narduzzi, what are you doing? Pat Narduzzi, the nondescript coach at uh, Pitt, and a couple other people have decided, Brent Venables included, the boy with the most punchable face, have decided that it's okay to take shots at Neon Deion Sanders for coming into a horrific program led by a moron named Carl Dorrell, who let the players do whatever it is they wanted to do, won nothing. So here comes Deion Sanders putting accountability, putting structure, and putting toughness into the program and weeding out those that don't want to be a part of it. Well, those two coaches, Venables and Narduzzi, decided it was a good idea to rip on Deion Sanders. I'm with Lincoln Riley. I give Sanders credit. We all know what the rules are. We all know what the parameters are. And our job is to build the best teams we can for the university that has given us the opportunity to do it. No excuses. There are no excuses. I lost my three best players five out of ten years. I lost my two best players seven out of ten years, still at a winning record. And no one wants to hear it. No one wants to hear that. There are no excuses, particularly when you're done coaching. When you're coaching, people are going to say, hey, look, Dion, man, you got rid of all these players, but wow, what a great coaching job. Just wait till he gets all his players in there. That's what people are going to say. Three years from now, they're going to say something different. So good. No, not good. Great. Great for uh, Lincoln Riley. Great for him having the smarts to stand up for Sanders because what Sanders is doing is good for all coaches. Look, if I'm a coach, I'm making this a business. Period. Uh, critics hate, this is unbelievable. Critics hate, you know who Taylor Sheridan is? Taylor Sheridan's the man who brought you Yellowstone. In fact, he's the good bull rider in Yellowstone. He's the cowboy that owns the 666, I think it is. Well, Taylor Sheridan has a new show. Uh, liberal critics are mad at Taylor Sheridan's new show. Do you know why? Because in Special Ops Lioness, they kill terrorists. That's right. The far liberal cranks are upset with Taylor Sheridan because Taylor Sheridan's show, his new show, kills terrorists. Say what? Huh? It's like the far left cranks are mad because a movie, well, calls out human trafficking. And that movie's made over $150 million. But this is what we're mad about in this country. This is where we're headed. This is why this election is so important. There is no way you can let this current regime have any more control, maybe ever. Maybe absolutely ever. Can you worry? No. It is so important that you vote these idiots out. And I understand, like, some people are so whacked out. I got a former homeroom teacher of mine that comes at me every single time I post something on Facebook. I'm like, Sammy, baby, I don't know what you do or who you are, but you got to be 70. Give it a break. 
if you are still defending, and I don't know how to say this, but if, other than this, if you are de- still defending the Biden crime family, I got nothing for you. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can say. There's no way we can go about the business of doing business with you if you're de- still defending this group of people. They're maniacs. They're awful. And if you're still listening to folks that are your newspaper columnists, that are your far left, you're out of your mind. Get with me. Get in the center. Read this, read that, see what you like, see what you don't like. But for the love of all things holy, I mean, we should be able to make movies in the United States that are very popular because they kill terrorists. I guarantee you this show becomes really popular. I do. I guarantee you this show becomes something that everybody wants to freaking see. All right, this is weird. This is very weird. There's controversy at the local Chipotle. Don't send your husbands here to pick up Chipotle. Next thing you know, Lucy is going to sleep with them. Read these tweets. Lucy is going to seduce. This is the upper left tweet. They're going to seduce them into sleeping with her like she has with multiple married men. You have guac to be kidding me. Stay far away, Jessica F., bottom left, says. Lucy, the GM, or whatever position she's in, she likes to sleep with married men, a.k.a. her customers. Now, look, I'm not going to blame Lucy here. Hey, Lucy just trying to get stooped. Lucy just likes to have a little bit of the sex. Who can blame Lucy? Lucy's just slinging that thing around. It's the married men. Look, you're married. You're going into Chipotle. Get the guac out of here with all of a sudden, hey, look, you know what I think would be fun? I think stupid Lucy. I think stupid Lucy, uh, I don't know, the manager of the Chipotle. I think that's a good career move for a married guy. Lose half your stuff, get scandalous. Maybe your kids lose their dad. But, hey, I get this stup Lucy the pig. I ain't mad at you. Oh, by the way, Jake W. Jake W. Lucy is a pig. She slept with my husband, too. They need better customer service. That doesn't involve my bed. The guac sucks, too. See, David L. underneath says, hey, can I get Lucy's phone number? I think she's a great member of the team. Nothing wrong with Lucy. Lucy just slinging that thing. Why do you guys get so upset about it? Lucy has decided this is what she's going to do. And and we got more photos. I think this is it. I would love to see photos of Lucy. It's Lucy. She says, I can explain. Oh, man. All Lucy's trying to do is sell some more so she gets to become manager of the year at the local damn Chipotle. I guarantee you, if you go to Chipotle today and there's a woman manager, you're going to check out her name tag and go, huh, okay, that's Edith. Yeah, that's not Lucy. Look, you are. I am. I'm very happily married. I'm not going to stoop Lucy, but I got to see. Maybe it's in Indy. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's not, but I think most of us are going to go, uh, all right. Lucy's on the loose. Yeah. Death to Lucy, says, my bad. Look at that. (laughs) Oh, man. Wait a second. We got Lucy.
Lucy, there'll be lawsuits. Lucy will be in trouble, but that's our, hey, look, we're not mad at Lucy. We just want Lucy to stop it with the boys. We do. We want Lucy to say, hey, all right, let's just figure this out. Uh, Some more headlines. Did you know this? Conor McGregor. How is this guy not in jail? Every time I turn around, this dude's in some kind of controversy. Whatever happened to Conor McGregor and the whole deal with the woman in the bathroom at the Miami Heat game? Like, why do some things just go away? Can anybody explain this to me? So Conor McGregor is eyeing a 2024 return. I hope so. It's like, do you think that Conor McGregor just stages these things every once in a while? Like he gets a woman to, I don't know, charge him with something, then it all goes away, so we pay attention to this clown, we buy his whiskey, we do whatever he asks us to do. I mean, what is the deal here? This dude has been arrested 15 times. But it's all right. It's like Trump. I don't get this with Trump. Like, Trump's going to be indicted. If I were indicted on one count of anything, I'd be, like, panicking. I'd be thinking I'm going to the clink. I think I'm going to the hooska. I think I'm going to jail. But McGregor just gets arrested all the time or charged. I don't know if he even gets arrested. And next thing you know, this ah, we're not worried about it. We're going to fight. We'll fight next week. We'll figure out an eye on 2024. What? You're doing what now? Yeah, we'll figure it out. Yeah. Oh, Andre Wilson said, dude missed a memo on what to do at the National Anthem. Probably looks like what everyone in every other country does. Act like it means something. Yeah, I'm with you, Andre Wilson, but I, I did miss the memo. I did. I stand. I guess we're supposed to put our hand over our heart. I guess our right hand. I don't know. And, of course, we're supposed to sing. I missed the memo, Andre. And if every other country is doing it, good for them to send me the damn memo. That's all I want. All right, stock up and stock down. You ready? Stock up, ladies and gentlemen. Stock up. Brian Harmon. You looked it in the eye. You looked it in the eye. You said, I'm not messing around here. I got to sleep on a big lead. I don't care. I'm going to come out and cruise. He cruised. 18, hits one in the fairway, hits one to the corner, puts it in the bunker, gets up and down, and he wins by a month. Good for Brian Harmon. Five foot nothing, hits the ball like, I don't know, really well compared to normal people. But he hung in there and hung in there and hung in there. Jason Aldean, baby. Jason Aldean, try that in a small town. I am all in on Jason Aldean. I couldn't be more in on him because he's right. Try that crap in a small town and let's see what the hell happens. We saw it in Ottawa Lakes. We saw it in Crown Point, Indiana. You're not trying to rebuild Crown Point, Indiana. Why? Because the fellas at Crown Point, Indiana... When they heard people were going to come a robbing, just simply got their guns out, stood on their own property, and didn't move. Jason Aldean keeps climbing the ladder. Jason Aldean's song has moved to number one, and I ain't mad about Jason Aldean continuing his road to superstardom. And never, ever apologize to any of these jackasses. Ever. Under no circumstances. Hey, Messi, 
Messi plays next on the 25th of the month. Messi scored the game-winning goal in his debut with Inter-Miami. Lionel Messi. Now, there is a video where Serena Williams goes nuts. I think she's a part owner. There's a video where Kim Kardashian doesn't know why she's there, but she is. So the fact of the matter is very simple. Lionel Messi paid dividends right away. And it's fantastic. And of course, LeBron James had to get into, you know, the crazy thing is that I called it. Shut up, idiot. The crazy thing. Yeah, that's crazy, LeBron. Wow. Dumbass. Uh, the women's national soccer team just annoys me. I, I missed the memo on what you're supposed to do with the anthem. Do what every other country does. Oh, okay, Andre. Yeah, all right, man. Whatever you say, bro. Oh, man. Anyway, but the fact of the matter is this. The fact of the matter, they're just an annoyance. They're unwatchable. Like we talked about with Urban uh, Swamp Kings, and we talked about how the players at that time in Florida resonated with the community of students, whatever you liked or didn't like about them. Man, they were larger than life because they resonated. I got to tell you, this women's national team, they may resonate with young women. I don't know. They may resonate with lesbians. They may resonate with trans. I, they may. I don't know. But they certainly don't resonate with most. They certainly don't. They don't. They won't. They can't. And look, they're just little pains in the ass. They're unwatchable. They're unrootable. I'm not going to root against them because if it says USA on it, I want to root for them. But they're unrootable. They just are. And if you're rooting for them, I won't disparage you. Good for you. God bless you. But I, I'm not rooting against, I'm not rooting for, I'm just simply, eh, I'm agnostic when it comes to them. You know, there is a cast of characters that Greeny and the boys has on, and they could not be less interested. They honestly couldn't be less interested. Um, people are mad at Mike Tannenbaum. People are mad because Mike Tannenbaum had the nerve, had the nerve to criticize, yes, Justin Fields. He double-dined when he openly declared Jordan Love would be the best quarterback in the NFC North. Now, he got a reaction. Former Bears scouting director Greg Gabriel said this. Yesterday, a two-time former NFL GM claimed that the best quarterback in the NFC North is Green Bay's Jordan Love. We all know that is absurd as how good or bad love is this season remains to be seen. Nothing love has done to date says it'll be good, bad, or indifferent. We just don't know. That same former GM also has field ranks as the worst quarterback in the NFC North. Of course, should be pointed out that this former GM destroyed two AFC East franchises when he was GM of those teams, so his opinion is actually a joke. Well, it's apparently not a joke uh, to this guy because, well, He's angry about it. Greg Gabriel is angry. And when Greg Gabriel gets angry, damn it, you know what? When Greg Gabriel is angry, we got to pay attention to it. We do. Because Greg Gabriel's comments are important to us. I don't know what the hell Greg Gabriel is, but if you have been involved in the Chicago Bears front office over the last 50 years, you suck. Except for 1985. That's it. 1984, 85 Bears, I'm on with you. Anything other than that, you suck. That's all I got. I mean, that's it. I mean, look, I, you can say whatever you want, but that's how I feel. Max Scherzer, I'm getting tired of Max. I like Max. I'm not mad at Max. Why are we mad at Max? I don't know. 
But Max Scherzer uh, has stunk this year. Max Scherzer stinks. Max Scherzer is no good, and I'm tired of Max Scherzer. Max Scherzer's agent, Scott Boris, says that, well, nobody has talked to Max Scherzer about a trade. All right. Yeah, I don't care. Max Scherzer is on a team that lost again last night to the Red Sox, which, by the way, won me a parlay because I had a three-team. I'm here to win with the Mets, nothing else. He also referred to the subject of him being traded as clickbait. And, you know, one of the interesting things about clickbait, I want to get into that just for a second, is none of us get paid by the clicks. But everybody has clickbait. You're clickbait. Dockets, you become nothing but clickbait. All right, well, then click on it. Make me more popular. Doesn't matter to me. But I love the fact that you're here, and I love the fact that our YouTube chat is just cranking, yo. I do. Look, let's be honest. If Justin Fields can't throw the ball to his own teammate, and maybe Mike Tannenbaum knows. But to get all upset about who the best quarterback in a bad division is, that makes no sense to me. You can tell me right now Anthony Richardson's the best quarterback in the AFC South. I'd say you're a clown, but I'd go, oh, well, the other ones aren't great. C.J. Stroud, who knows? Uh, Tannehill, we do know. And Lawrence, you guys like a hell of a lot more than me. So who knows? I don't. Man, what a great show we had today. All right, let's go. Who's woken? Who's dope? And look at that. That young lady is on whatever her name is, Martin. Kimberly Martin is the dumbest person on television. Wow, a teenager in Nebraska was just sentenced to 90 days in jail for using the abortion pill. This is America Republicans want. Republicans will not let women control their own bodies. According to them, teenagers are old enough to be mothers. It's horrifying. Uh, Right underneath. Because this guy, Harry Sisson, he's just a young kid that's out of his mind. The teen was not sentenced for having a chemical-induced abortion during her third trimester, but for burning, burying, and concealing a dead body. It's just sad that guys like Harry Sisson run around out there. It's just sad that we have so much dishonesty so easily. I'm not mad at the dishonesty. Hell, everybody's dishonest. I'll tell you a few lies if you'd let me. But it's just sad that we throw it around so easily. And thank goodness for community notes. Honest to God, these people are just insane. And if you follow Harry Sisson, which I don't, but I have seen his stuff, it's just lie after lie after lie. It's like Camilla Harris lying the other day about what's going on in Florida. Man, it's just so easy to lie, and I don't understand it. I guess maybe I should understand it, but I don't. Who's woke and doping next, peoples? You know, uh, the, the whole client, yeah, just black everything out and watch what happens. My God, the L.A. Times, you know, Clay Travis wrote a great article about the Washington Post and the New York Times the other day. And he basically said this. Look, it was very popular, those two rags, when Trump was in office because you had a villain. And now those two rags have gone to hell. Why? Well, because they have become left-wing shills. They simply won't go after President Biden because their left-wing base audience will leave them. Look, the L.A. Times is no different. There's nothing in the Los Angeles Times that's interesting. This, I guess, is interesting because of its sheer stupidity. Yes, let's have blackouts. Yes, let's do that. Try that in L.A. where they loot if a cop looks wrong at somebody. Yes, let's do that. Yes, Uh, climate change. How many glaciers were there when Al Gore was born and how many glaciers there are now? I don't know, but they're the same. Wouldn't uh, global warming, wouldn't climate change have, I don't know, 
maybe evaporated some of those. The world is nuts. I had a family member when there was a wildfire say, oh, tell me climate change isn't real. And then, of course, came out that the wildfire was arson. And, well, I did tell her. I don't think it's real. But, man, a lot of people make a lot of money. A lot of newspapers are trying to sell it. Mm. Dan, I believe this, according to Jen Gritty, I believe California should secede from the union. I agree. I absolutely agree. I do. I'm just saying. I totally agree. Um, We're going to have a monster week, and I want you all to know how much I appreciate everybody being here. Urban Meyer, if you missed it, if you're just joining us, the conversation was awesome. Graham McDowell was fantastic as well. Thanks to everybody involved in his show, Nick and Dylan and Ryan and Katie and, of course, Haley and Aaron and Gary and everybody that works here at OutKick and allowing us to be on. We had a great, great show today, and that's just what we do. Every day we are going to bring you the best guests, the most topical, the most entertaining guests. And this show eventually is going to grow. Otter Creek, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate all of your tweeting of our show. Ryan Mueller, you as well. Sean Black, thank you for that as well. Uh, By the way, Sean Black, I'm sending out today, I'm getting a bunch of stuff done, and I'm sending out today a triple X shirt for your pop. Appreciate you. Have a wonderful, wonderful afternoon. I am out.